I have a special guest in studio today. Let me just give a proper introduction. You know the current commemoration of uh, the World Book or Reading Day, which was, by the way, on the 23rd of April, was revived by UNESCO in 1995. But it goes back to the 7th of April, 1926, in honor of a Spanish writer, Miguel de Cervantes. I don't know if I, sp- I pronounced that right. It's Spanish, hey? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the honor was tied to his publishing house, um, championed by publisher Vicente Clavel, and it was in order to boost the publisher's uh, general sales using uh, the Cervantes' uh, famous name and a lure to, uh, okay, for a buy-in. Incidentally, while the day aims to celebrate and cultivate the reading of books, it is also said to celebrate publishing and copyright as well. Uh, some of the connective issue, I mean, tissue of uh, books. The focal point for UNESCO's World Book Day this year was indigenous languages and celebration thereof as far as literature goes. That is my starting point. We are celebrating uh, uh, indigenous languages as far as literature goes. I have a studio guest today by the name of Lita Hermanas. This man has been around. <laughs> he is a, you know, when you are a, pers- a radio personality, even when you're st- you are no longer working there, you remain, yeah. You're right. <laughs> um, Some of you may know him from radio. Uh, well, uh, a little bit perhaps, but uh, I mean, in radio, for the most part, I was behind the scenes. So I was but they much know your name. Even if you are a producer, your name is g- g- getting credit every day. So you are a radio personality as a producer. And some Thank of you, you very much. may know you from the, your days of chicken or beef <laughs> correct <laughs> those those who travels those who traveled those on who SAA travel. yeah, will mm-hmm. know me from from chicken or beef tea or coffee take it or leave it <laughs> <laughs> and uh, some of you some of uh, our listeners may know you as a writer and author talk me through your journey as an author where did it all begin whoa Okay, so once again, thank you very much for having me on uh, The Diplomat here on Ubuntu Radio, and hello to your listeners in a proper way. Uh, my writing, I think, as you have just said now, Thelma, uh, I've done quite a few things in my 47-year young life. Mm. Um, and in that time, uh, writing has probably been the most consistent thing. Uh, I was a cabin attendant at some point. Uh, I was in radio at some point. I was even an English teacher in Japan at some point. Wow. Uh, but the one thing that I've consistently done is is writing. Now, mm-hmm. there's a difference between writing and publishing, mm-hmm. uh, right? Because you can write for the longest time in and your life publish. and never get to publish. Yeah. Uh, and does that, does that mean you're not a writer? Uh Mm, I, it's a very difficult one to to to, to really answer, mm-hmm. but obviously, as a writer, one gets uh, credentials or gets some kind of validation once one is published. Uh, and so, although I've been writing for very very many years uh, with the talent to do so, you know, when family says to you, "Oh, you write so well," and friends say, "You write so well," but they can never quite tell you where you are not so good you know so i always felt like i could write because uh you know i wrote i wrote a multiplicity of things at quite at quite a young age but i never got to publish until mm. i was 40 wow uh, and so uh even even then the publishing i think 
took me to school because writing being a very lonely thing, you never really know whether you're good enough until you run into some gatekeepers, as it were, who are able then to say to you, yeah, listen, your level is of a credible uh, 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 I'm sorry, your writing is of a credible level. Uh, and so when I felt like I wasn't getting any feedback that was substantial and I felt like there was something not quite good with the writing, I decided to enroll for a master's in creative writing at VIT. Um, and so through that master's in creative writing, I was able to get 12 readers uh, who are lecturers who have written and read for a very, very long time. And so they were able to give me feedback, read my work mm, almost uh well, it's actually twice a month mm. um, and and give me feedback. And so coming mm. out of that program, I was able to uh, publish with Penguin Random House uh, my debut novel, which is called The Eyes of the Naked. What is this book all about? Whoa. Interesting uh, a title there. Um, the book, the, the Eyes of the Naked. Uh, I mean, if you've seen it out there, it's it's got a yellow cover uh, and it's got uh, big, bold writing in red, The Eyes of the Naked. And on, obviously the author's name is in blue there. But if you look at the bottom uh, right corner of the book, you will see there's a circumcision initiate. Mm, um, mm. And so it's a book that touches on culture okay. and particularly culture around circumcision and particularly of the Tosa people. Mm. Uh, it is a book that is based a, a bit on experience and a bit on fiction. Um, and so when I first started writing, they told me, listen, if you want to sell any books in South Africa, you need to write things that make people move. And I was asking them, so what makes people move in South Africa? And they said crime. I said, what? You want me to write crime fiction? That is to me probably the least <coughs> um, exciting kind of fiction for me as a reader. Mm. Um, and so I looked and I said to myself, okay, I'll give them their crime fiction. So, But what I did was I took a personal story, so something that is literary fiction, something that has got to do with the internal human being and the exploration of the person's motivations, experience, etc. And I put it within a crime action uh, 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 kind of uh, uh, narrative mm. that will supposedly get people moving in South Africa. But it is kind of a tricky thing because we go on that journey, at least I lure you on that journey, but <coughs> once you're in and you're hooked and you want to know what's going on, you find out less about the actual crime but more about the actual motivations of the human being. Mm. Um, and this character in particular, he has a problem in Johannesburg really a, a, somebody who comes from a good family but mixes up with the wrong crowd in his youth and then ends up running home because he, he has been involved in a, in a crime so, mm. to, so to speak mm. but once he gets home he finds out that his younger brother who's actually his cousin has run away to a bogus circumcision school mm. or, or one of those circumcision schools that are you know are very famous every December and, and, and June or rather I should say notorious for doing uh, our boys wrong yeah. um, and so now the family fears that oh my lord this this little this little uh, cousin here is probably going to run into some life-threatening situations and he, this guy who has just come back, his name is Nakedi, who has just run from Johannesburg and run back to the rural areas, he happens to be the only man in the house or the only male. So he is the only one who is able then to go and look for his little cousin. So mm. now we have a push and pull kind of scenario which makes the book kind of pacey because he's now running away from his situation in, in Johannesburg, but he's also running towards finding his brother. Mm. So he's 
running away from the law, running towards finding his brother. And there we get the, the interaction. But the crux of it is that the, the guy himself was never really, never really leaned into the traditional side of things. So when he is going in there to go find his brother, he's at an age where he himself is supposed to be knowledgeable about circumcision, but he's not because he's never gone in. So it becomes quite precarious for him. It's dangerous because now he's asking about his brother within this world that he knows nothing about. Can you even speak closer? Yes, you can. Because I mean, because I'm thinking now we're getting into the traditional part of things. And I've just indicated that this year, the celebration of World Book uh, Reading Day uh, was centered around indigenous languages. Correct. And I'm trying now, I'm thinking very loud about Nakedi yes, <laughs> and his and command for the local language. Correct. I think that's a very, that's a very important uh, 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 point that you, that you, that you raised, Thelma, uh, because Nakedi's life is not dissimilar to mine in this respect. Mm. In that while I grew up speaking Isikosa and I was quite fortunate also to have a grandmother, you know, who taught me Shakespeare, the first time I, I, I understood the story, The Merchant of Venice, it was told to me in Isikos wow. by my grandmother to mm-hmm. such a degree that when I got to Standard 5 and I was reading The Merchant of Venice for the first time in a bridged version, I was so sure somebody had plagiarized my grandmother. Wow. And this wow. person obviously would turn out to be uh, no other than William <laughs> Shakespeare. Uh, but, the whole, but the whole point is... Um, Growing up and learning Isikosa and interacting with 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 your the grandparents and everything as a young person, and then being sent to schools in which we didn't learn any indigenous languages, but only learned English as a first language mm-hmm. or mother tongue, as they say these days, uh, it sort of did put a divide of sorts between one and their indigenous language because you spend much of the day learning in English. You hang out with people, particularly where I came from uh, in Umtata. You know, I had Indian friends, Ghanaian friends, white friends, uh, because South Africa, is, as old as I am, uh, you know, we would have been segregated a lot more had we been elsewhere, but we were in the Transkei mm. where things were a little bit different from what we came to understand. I mean, I only touched South African soil, you know, when I was, when I was much Older, Older, but growing up in the Transkei, which is, you know, South African soil, but not Mm, not not at that time. Uh, You know, one does in that growing up tend to have a rift between the purer traditional things, the purer kind of linguistic skills to such to such to such a point that when you when you when you go back home or you go back to the rules and you speak, you don't speak confidently, even though there are some things that you know. So Nagedi is like that. He's somebody who has lost, you know, that real connection with the people because he's been a migrant worker now. Mm. He's been here in this cosmopolitan kind of Johannesburg for a long time. Not only that, but if you read the book, you also find out he was raised in a very cosmopolitan kind of way, away from there crux of, 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 I would say, indigenous activity and culture. Um, having spoken about the former homeland and the education that you and I got, because we come from the Bantu education era, and not being so exposed to indigenous languages as we would have like desired to, and we compare that to the current state of things in South Africa, our children are no longer able to speak indigenous languages. Where do you think we are going? 
with mm. regards to literature and and yes and so for me you know this um UNESCO's World Book Week. In fact, just to harken back to World Book Week, it, it was last week, and mm. you were supposed mm. to have me here last week, yes. but then I, 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 I got terribly ill. Mm. And thank you again for <laughs> you know making the space for me to be able to come this week, although it's no longer World Book Week. But UNESCO's take on it of indigenous languages um, is, is, is a very particularly UNESCO thing. But if you look elsewhere, I mean, it's World Book Week, so it, around, around different parts of the world, they had different calls to action. Mm-hmm. So U- UNESCO was about traditional languages, uh, but you also have here in South Africa. My publisher, Penguin Random House, uh, is talking about grow. Uh, sorry, read, inspire, and grow, yes, uh, yes, which is yes. what we are doing for little kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as indigenous languages go, uh, I think in my book also I do touch on uh, my character. He has a six-year-old son uh, who cannot speak in any 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 part of the indigenous language Mm. that he is then supposed to connect with family members with. So if you imagine, and this is what happens in South Africa, I mean, your question was quite broad. It wasn't just about my novel. Yeah. Uh, But what happens in the novel, and I think what happens in South Africa as well, and it's, it's a fear, is that there is a disconnect now that happens. When I was younger, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother where she was able to give me wisdoms that I wasn't able to understand at the time, but I was able to internalize, to keep for later on in life as I grew. But I had those interactions with her and she spoke to me her wisdoms in a language she fully understood and transferred it to me as someone who also understood it. Now, what happens with a lot, I mean, my son is fortunate in that, I mean, he also doesn't speak Tosa yet, Mm -hmm. but that's also a function of, you know, being a diplomat, a child, mm. you know, being far away from from oh. from his people. Yeah. Uh, but but the whole point is, uh, he may not uh, speak Isikosa, um, but his grandmother, or both his grandmothers, speak English to a point where they are able to take all the wisdoms from their experience in life and transfer them mm. through play, through whatever it is. You know, those hugs with the granny, those those games that the mother's not really allowed to be around for when the grandmother sneaks sweets in, but also with words there of when you get older, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Those things that, especially grandmothers, I mean, we, we don't understand really, well, some of us do because we're there, but some of us, we, we don't. How the actual experience of life and how you need to transfer it to the people who come after you because it's really new every day. Mm. And so anything that you are able to pick up as patterns as an old woman, as an old man to say, hey, in life, look out for these things. Hey, in life, if you have this, keep going with it. You know, And those are things that when your mother tells you, you hear it differently. When your father tells you, you hear it differently. Mm. When your grandparents tell you, you hear it in a way that you receive it. And when you use it later, it's like umpago that you had in a scuffed and you start eating it later. But now, to get back to answering your question, you know, the last thing I want to say there is a lot of children who do not speak indigenous languages are at a very big, uh, what can I call it, chasm and or moat. A very big gap exists between those grandparents and kids who are not able to speak such that there are things that are at the risk of never being transferred. 
If you have just joined us, you are listening to The Diplomat on Ubuntu Radio. Remember, we are on DSTV, Audio Bokeh Channel 888. You can also find us online, ubunturadio.com. Otherwise, on Twitter, at Ubuntu Radio ZA, on Instagram, at Official Ubuntu Radio ZA. On Facebook, we are Ubuntu Radio ZA. My name is Tal Mangobeni, and I have Lita Hermanas in studio talking about literature. We are still talking about uh, kids. In your view, how can we get our children into the world of reading as early as possible in life? Well, okay, so this for me is very, very exciting um, because it is really the space in which I am currently focused and I operate now. Um, So I'll tell you a little family story. You know, my wife and I, we have a little boy five years ago, almost six years ago, and uh, we decide we're not going to get him any superhero things. Uh, we're not going to get him any Superman, Spider-Mans, anything until the day that he can vocalize and say, I want Superman, I want Spider-Man. Mm. And the rationale there was if we buy him numbers and letters, the guy is never going to really know. He doesn't have a point of reference to say, ah, my friends have X, Y, and Z. He only sees a colorful number one, a colorful number three. He sees colorful uh, alphabet. So at this point, you're not still battling the outside. So the toys that you buy for a child. So my wife and I, we decided, okay, we're buying letters, toys, shapes, uh, these kinds of things. No superheroes. In fact, even superhero clothing, we decided with the family, please don't send us. If you sent it to us, we just acted like a a water pipe and we just funneled it somewhere else (laughs) and we didn't keep it. And and so about a year and a half into into the boy's life, we could see that he already now had an affinity for words. And because I'm a writer, I would have him on my lap sometimes or as I'm writing. And I could see, I first thought to myself, you know what? If this guy is around words like this, why don't we just teach him? Because he's already touching them, playing with them. Why don't we just teach him what they are now? Mm-hmm. And so when he was about two, I said to my wife, which brought up a fight in the family, I said to my wife, I'm going to teach the boy how to read. And my wife said, oh, are you going to read to him? I said, no, you, you misunderstood. I'm going to teach him how to read. I'm not going to read with him. And she said to me, no, but you need to read bedtime stories. Otherwise, you're going to be like those fathers who don't read. You're going to be like a deadbeat dad. I said, oh, okay watch Uh, I kept my mouth shut and then I started teaching the boy through play phonics because I told you I'd been a teacher in Japan Mm, okay mm, mm. and so I hadn't gone to you know to teaching college I didn't have you know all this teaching or uh, uh, what do they call it pedagogic uh, 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 kind of skills that I but I'd had three years of teaching and understanding how you transfer what you know to the next to the next human being Mm. you you don't have to be robed or given any titles but are you able to take something that you know like I know there's a kind of ape that first discovered how to get honey from a tree using a stick now all those apes know because that one ape knew right and so my, my goal was that I'll be that ape who teaches my little ape how to just read. I don't have to read to him. So about a year later, my wife and I, obviously my wife was saying, ah, this guy doesn't read. He's not like these other fathers. He doesn't read to his child. But COVID hits. And by this time, my boy is about to turn three. Our boy is about to turn three. And my wife has put up, you know, it's a very lonely birthday situation. So we've put up these decorations, but, but it's only the three of us. Yeah, but it's mm. only the three of us in the house. <laughs> okay. And Auntie and Loiso came over mm. and Aunt Loiso came over when she came over with the cake. The boy came from upstairs 
and he looked at the words that on the decorations and he went oh happy birthday and so he read for the first time unassisted when he was three years old on his birthday and so my wife's eyes popped up like this can i send my child to you uh, well, we're currently in Malawi, so it's a little <laughs> bit difficult. But depending on how old your child is, listen, I'm very, very open uh, mm. to, to to teaching kids. As a matter of fact, when we talk later uh, about the Business Unbound Book Club, it is especially, especially for kids because we are targeting kids who are from grade zero mm. to grade three to start early because it is so easy to teach them because we teach them through fun and games and reading to the point where they don't understand that they are doing mental work to the point where they come down and they go happy birthday and their mother goes oh wow you're reading mm. and then I go I'm not such a deadbeat dad am I and you know reading is, is such a challenge for a majority of us even people who have like maybe spent uh, the early childhood or the uh, primary education I'm talking about the first 12 years of education in their lives they still struggle to read so if you can do it at that early stage a lot can happen in South Africa alright uh, and so what we are doing, uh, my company is called Summit and Sojourn, and mm. we run a book club called the BUB Book Club. The mm. BU stands for Business Unbound. Okay. And so you might ask, what does business have to do with book clubs? And so in South Africa, the sad state of affairs is that if you write fiction and you sell 5,000 copies, you are a bestseller. bestseller. If you write nonfiction and you sell 3,000 copies, you are a bestseller. Now, in other countries, you're talking about having to get into the hundreds of thousands before you become a bestseller, right? And so it means in South Africa that the reading is quite low. The volume, let alone the capacity and or literacy, but just the volume, the sheer number of pages that South Africans eat, if we think of books as food, are very, very few. And mm. so we know this, that when people go to a bookshop, they don't look at books and go, oh, I hate these things. But they look at the books and they make themselves feel guilty. I'm not reading enough. Mm. I'm not re but at the same time, they are choosing between airtime, petrol, shoes, yes. a bag. So in the totem pole of things, even food. So in the totem pole of things, books are quite there at the bottom. And so you have to say to yourself, okay, you can't force people to read. But you then have to give them an opportunity to say there's value in books that you didn't think about. And mm -hmm. that's what our book club is doing. Mm -hmm. So what we do is not only do we get children to read from an early age, but typically what we are encouraging. And if you're a principal out there uh, and anybody involved with schools and or parents, this is for you. We are taking books and we are not just making them things to read. We are making them things to read, but a way through which to invest financially. In your children. Mm. So we have a book club that gets 24 books for the year for you and your child to read. So that's 24 books for the year. Now we do it as an extramural activity such that you as the parent who is not like me who is going to be reading with your child every day. There's somebody that comes to school to read with your children. Right. In the same way that at a school, there's a cricket coach that is brought in by the school to teach cricket oh, yeah. or brought mm -hmm. in by the soccer, co uh, soccer coach brought in by the school to teach soccer. So the same thing with books. 
Now, when your child starts soccer as an extramural activity at school, you don't say they'll do it for one year, two years and stop. You say they'll do it for as long as they love it. Exactly. Right? And it's a similar thing with the book club. So if you're starting in grade zero, grade one or grade two, you are for doing it for the foreseeable future, doing it until matric. So what we are doing is we are saying all the books we are giving to you through the club, you are paying us per month for those books. Okay, it's not like other book clubs where you go buy in a second-hand bookshop or you mm. go. So you all have to spend money here, and the money that you spend, you spend like you do when you go to a gym. At a gym, you don't go pay every day that you go. Mm. There is a debit order that comes off once, once a month, month, and you are allowed in that month to interact with the gym. So here, two books in a month, and you get the debit order taken. But that debit order that gets taken, sixty percent of it gets put away month on month year on year until your child is done now with this extramural activity at school when they reach matric now they've got a lump sum when they leave matric they've got a lump sum because you've been saving these books that you have been buying as part of the book club 60% of each purchase has now gone into a group investment fund mm. which then matures when your child reaches matric. matric and so when it's time for them to go to university that money then comes in quite Handy. Now, it's not going to be the kind of amount that is going to change, you know, their lives to the point where they don't have to ever work. But it will be money that, I mean, I don't know if you ever have found 200 rand hiding in a pocket as you're about to Yo, do your laundry. And, uh, that's, that's it. and so we're, we're doing something similar to that in that you spend 100% on the books. 40% of that 100% is the money that you are actually spending. Mm for the information from the books to go into your child's head mm -hmm. and your child to read and enjoy being part of a club with other activities. But 60% of it goes into a group investment fund where at the end of it all, you are able to say, not only is my child able to read, not only is my child's mind's horizons open so wide from the ability to interact with books, but also my child has some lump sum waiting for them once they are done with their actual schooling. What an idea. So if you're a parent no. and you and you don't want to get your child reading because Yay. books don't mean much for you in terms of value, now we have inserted value into them that you have then now to think about and say, okay, what 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 can I do now that there's this value in books and it's not just about reading to be clever. Mm. 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 I have a, a friend who's an author. She always encourages people to read um, books that are equal to their age so if you are 30 she encourages you to read 30 books per year whoa whoa okay <laughs> <laughs> i need to meet this friend of yours i need to meet this I'm friend of yours <laughs> no 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 because i'm 47 years old you know i don't know I if i'll be able to do it read 47 oh. books a year. you know because elon musk and warren buffett and, and the likes of bill gates and them they read a minimum of 50 books a year Wow. 50. And now somebody might say, mm. well, they're rich. They can afford to do that. But the real question is, can they afford to not do that? Mm. Because that 50 books a year, can you imagine each book is written by one or many people? So it's almost like you are getting a vacation in the minds of everyone who had something to think about, mm -hmm. research, mm -hmm. write about, explore. Mm -hmm. So book, books for me, I mean, there's, there's good as food. I, I think the only thing that I, I, I choose more than books is food. 
uh, maybe clothing and shelter, but books are right there. You know, <laughs> books are right there. So you're feeding your mind, feeding yes. your mind continuously. So I think we are now running out of time. I want you to speak to a prospective writer. Someone who's, who's like who's been writing like you you were doing, but never got to to publish for whatever reason. What kind of encouragement would you have for them? What is it that they need to do in order for them to get to that point of publishing? You know, something like writing. Um, for me, it's the kind of thing where your mother's not going to wake you up to go do it. Your wife is not going to wake you up to go do it. It's an internal compass thing. Now, you either have the internal compass or you don't. Mm. Uh, nobody, it's like going to gym. Nobody can ever pick you up in the morning and put you in front of barbells yeah. and, and lift those barbells for you. Mm. And so, for the most part, if somebody loves to write, they already do it unsolicited. Nobody has to beg them. Mm. And so, for such a person, there's no discouragement because that person will write regardless. Mm. Now, the only question is, are you feeling that you are getting better as a writer? And number two, are you getting closer to publishing? Now, number one, it's very difficult uh, to gauge yourself in terms of are you getting better? Because if you knew, then you wouldn't need other people. You would just write and you would be brilliant. But now writing is a skill that you pick up. And because it's so alone, I would, I would, I would encourage, first of all, I think, somebody like that to find a community of writers, mm. to find people with whom they can write. Because as I said, that person is, would be undeterred by themselves. They would be doing it anyway. But it's to find a community, to understand that even when you do write, there'll be rejections. Mm. You know, because it's not just because I've published this book. It's the only book I've turned in. I mean, I've got a book now called Suspicious Jesus that is looking for a home, mm. you know, and there's nothing wrong with the real Jesus, please. It's just a title that is a play on words. It's once you, Yeah, once yeah. you read, you'll find out. So there's nothing suspicious <laughs> with Jesus. Uh, but, but, the whole, but the whole point is you have to try and surround yourself and find people who are then going to understand, number one, what it is that you are trying to do. Because a bunch of people, if you say to them, oh, I'm writing or I'm a writer, they don't care. They'll walk past you and carry on breathing as they were doing before you told them that information. You know? So find people with whom to test your skill just to you know, talk to. In fact, you could even talk to me. I mean, you can send me a, 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 a what do you call this, an email and, mm -hmm. and, and we can kind of talk and figure out where you are because sometimes, you know, I also have to caution that we might all love things. Like, for example, I love playing soccer or I love playing basketball, but I could never play at the level at which professional players play because I'm just a little too late. Uh, and so it's never too late to write because it's all in the mind. Uh, but at the same time, it's whether you are good enough to publish uh, because they're gatekeepers. It's other people who decide eventually whether you're good enough. Mm -hmm. Unless, of course, you also want to self-publish because you can also take the power into your own hands because it's not about who's got the best grammar, who wrote the best sentences. It's about you are writing. You've got your internal motivations. What do you want to do? Maybe you are just in the community. You want to write a book that you are going to sell in within your community in your own language it did not necessarily be an english book that you need mm. to sell across across the world whatever it might be if you want to write keep writing on a lighter note as we draw to a conclusion of this conversation you are also a diplomat uh share your experiences um i want you to talk us through your experience in malawi 
the kind of people that you encountered, what are the cultures like uh, in comparison to, to our very own? What is it that you miss when you're there? Right. Yeah. Um, and so for me, when we we were supposed to leave here in April of 2020, but then obviously um, in March of that year, towards the end of March that year, uh, that's when lockdowns happened. So we ended up sort of staying uh, in limbo, not really knowing when we were going to go. But the entire time I was fearful because, you know, they said we're going to Malawi and I'd never been to Malawi, you know, and I didn't know what to expect. And I remember uh, former President Jacob Zuma had had something disparaging to say about their roads at some point. <laughs> and, and I remember having a negative image of what that country might be before I went. Mm-hmm. And I even said to my wife, is it not possible to find a different place where we could go? She said, I, I don't choose where I go. Yeah. They point me in that direction and I walk and I ask you to walk with me. Uh, and so I said, OK, let's go and see this place. I got there because it was COVID. Obviously, we weren't really able to meet people and interact. And when you met people, it was really you were meeting people's eyes under masks. And it is only really up until 2022 mid-year that I would say we started to enjoy Malawi and start to get into the fabric of things. But the feeling that I had about not really wanting to go is was flipped 180 degrees to a point where if you had to bring me back now, you would have to send a bunch of people to go and fetch me. <laughs> you know? oh, wow. uh, because it, it is it is so like here, you find a lot of the products that you're going to find because we trade uh, with Malawi, so a lot of our products are in their country, but once you were there, uh, because they, they don't trade so much with us, they don't uh, uh, sort of export to South Africa as much as we export to their country. But once you get there, you'll find Malawi chairs that you find in, in lots of hotels and B&Bs. They, they are made there. Everything, hand-weaving baskets. The people are wonderful. They have a lake that is as, almost as big as the ocean. I mean, wow. you, it's with waves and islands. It's <clears throat> it's an amazing place. I tell people, in fact, in my family as well as friends, I say, if every time you buy a packet of chips, you pay 15% VAT. And we live in Malawi at, you know, at the behest of the government, uh, really, or rather at the, at the, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, really, uh, with the government as, as, as our, as our, yo, isn't it? Whoa. Anyway, but see, the government is, we're there, like, government is to kind of, to kind of, you know, be representatives uh, of South Africa. And I say, if you pay taxes as a South African and you know me, you and my family, or you come and visit now and enjoy your tax that you pay every time you, know? you buy chips, because it is a wonderful place. I tell all South Africans when they say, ah, Malawi, and I go, you just don't understand. You Please, don't come. Please come. Please come. It's an amazing place. Interesting. I think I'll be next up in Malawi. Later, Hermanes, uh, thank you so much for joining us in studio. Before you go, can you just leave your maybe email address, social media handles, if you have any ways that people can use to contact you should they have interest in what we've, we just spoke about? Okay. So uh, we have a website, um, summitandsojourn.com. I'll repeat summit and sojourn.com and then I will spell it summit S U M M I T and A N D sojourn is S O J O U R N 
Summit.com, summitandsojourn.com. Uh, otherwise, you could just Google Lita Hermanas, uh, The Eyes of the Naked, uh, and or the BUB Book Club. But you can find me on L-I-T-H-A-H at summitandsojourn.com. That is the email address. L-I-T-H-A-H, that is Lita H at summitandsojourn.com. A wonderful conversation we had in studio. Thank you so much for stopping by. And we wish you all the best. Hopefully, I would, yeah, I'll be part of something, something here. 